The following sermon is brought to you by thepreachersvault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. As my good friend Cliff Goodwin will often say, we will take care of some matters of housekeeping first. Uh, but you can go ahead and open your Bible, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to spend the majority of our time in Acts chapters 4 and 5 here in just a moment. Um, I would be amiss if I did not pause for just a moment and, and say thank you so much for the lovely accommodations I've received, the uh, fellowship, the, the meal that I've had in the back. I have enjoyed every bit of it. I tried to catch most of you and shake your hand either before, after, during, well, probably not, did I shake any hands during Bible class? But I tried. And so if I didn't get to you, I wish that I had, and I'll give you another chance, okay? It's on me, but I'll give you another chance if you'd like to talk for just a moment after this service. I'm here for your using and to do whatever you desire. I was preaching a meeting several years ago in Waco, Georgia, so quite a bit south of you, uh, preaching a meeting there, and one of the things that stood out about that meeting was the fellowship and was the tremendous food that I ate that week, uh, one of which was a highlight for me. Uh, a lady down there had made the best meatloaf I've ever eaten in my life. And so when I got back home to Ironiton, I was in charge of writing a church bulletin. The title of my bulletin was More Than Meatloaf. And the theme there was that I enjoyed the meatloaf, but I enjoyed so much more all the other things which I listed there that we were able to participate in that week. And uh, then I get back here, and there's at least three, maybe four pans of meatloaf and some meatballs. And I will tell you, I had some favorites back there, and it was all of them. I got some of everybody's, and by the time I got to the end, I'll be honest, I cut a piece in half because I knew I couldn't handle uh, that much, but I enjoyed that and everything else, and I appreciate that. But this has been more than meatloaf for me. So thank you uh, for allowing me to be here. It's my sincere uh, honor to be here among you and to be able to participate and do things such like this. When you think about what it means to be bold, what comes to your mind? Maybe I should ask you a question about that. And the question I may ask you, I'll tell you, is an extremely simple question. But it will at the same time be very difficult to answer honestly. And that's very simply this. Are you a bold Christian? I wouldn't want you to answer with your hands or your mouths, or with your hearts. Are you actually a bold Christian? We live in a day, in a time, an age, a nation, whatever you want to call that, where being a Christian, in my mind, is increasingly getting more difficult. I know there are times, biblically, obviously we read about, that are much, and I'll use my word because I'm from Mumford, I can. Somebody said earlier that they thought I was from New York. No, nobody said that, by the way. But times that existed in, in these pages here, they were worser than what we deal with, okay? We have to be thankful 
And praise God for that. Although I'll admit, I think that the church would be a lot healthier in some areas if we were enduring a lot more persecution than we are. But increasingly, it's become a habit, if you want to call it that, of us, at least some of us as individuals or in some cases collectively, to avoid every ounce of persecution possible by just, as we would say biblically, hiding our light and not allowing anyone to know that we are Christian for one, or maybe on one case allowing them to know that, but not allowing them to know for once or for whence we stand. What are our principles? What are the core beliefs that we trust in that are in these covers and between these pages? What is it that we truly believe? You know as well as I do, the church and the religious world, I'm using that very loosely. They're struggling today because we're not able or willing in some cases to just simply stand on those basics we talked about the last hour or in a whole, the Bible itself. And we've gotten to a place where it is so much easier to be a cowardly Christian than to be a bold one. To be a person who just kind of stands back in the shadows. You know, you're in the workplace or maybe you're out in a restaurant somewhere and, and it, it is the time and it is the uh, usual thing that you would do to bow your head and pray to God, but maybe you don't quite do that because there may be some watching that may not approve. Maybe like I am and you don't want to make that waitress feel uncomfortable because she was about to bring your drinks and if your head's bowed, then she, then she gets uncomfortable and so do you. Maybe it's the case that you're afraid that if someone finds that you are Christian and particularly that you're a member of the Lord's Church, that they may look at you in some way and maybe uh, attack you or to call to question the faith that you believe. And that might cause you some difficulty, some persecution. That it may be that some friend, some family member that you've been acquainted with for a long time, if, if you were to just kind of stand up and stand out as a child of God, that that, that might cause some tension between that relationship. And that potentially that tension could get so great till it should kind of it would burn the, the threads of the relationship to a part, to where, to where there's no longer that relationship that exists. Are you a bold Christian? I think about the words of, or at least penned by, the Apostle Paul, Romans 1 and verse 16. They're very familiar to you as well. But Paul there wrote this statement by inspiration. He said, I, speaking of himself, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and to salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first, he would say, and also to the Greek or Gentile. When the Apostle Paul writes those words, he's being extremely specific, actually. He's letting those people right out of the gate know when he says, I am not ashamed. He's saying there, I'm not ashamed to the point that I will live my life in, in horrible situations, if need be, so that I can stand with Christ instead of running from Him. I don't know how things would have worked out if the situation would have been similar, but you might remember on the, the evening or the night and in the morning that Christ was crucified, you remember eventually all of his disciples 
Save John that stayed somewhat nearby ran like scared rabbits because they didn't have one, won't have anything in the world to do with him. Peter, remember, warned himself by the fire. And on those three occasions which Christ prophesied of, basically, or predicted, he denied him three times uh, very vehemently to the point that he did not want to be associated whatsoever with the cause of Christ. I've been teaching and preaching through the book of Mark back home and it's so mind-boggling that in all that Jesus does in the first four chapters of Mark, He comes to a point where He has just uh, basically cast demons out of a number of people, committed so many miracles there, at least 13 miraculous acts that He commits up into only four chapters. And at one point after doing that, some of those Pharisees and others came to Him and said, you know what, I think what His deal is, I think the truth about Jesus is he's a Beelzebub. He's casting out demons, but he's doing it by the power of demons. You know the reaction of Jesus' friends and family in that context of chapter 4? He's out of his mind. By the latter part of the chapter, they go and attempt to take Jesus and say, come on, come on, we need you to come with us. Things have gotten out of hand the way you're acting. And, and basically, I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't know that I'm too far off. They're saying, we're getting to a place where we're, we're afraid to admit our associations with you. We don't want to be a part of that. So they beg of Jesus just to come with them. And that's the context where Jesus actually pops up in the room and says, who are my mother and my brother and my brethren? Who are they? And that seems so offensive. But brethren, to be a member of the Lord's church, a Christian, in the truest sense, and to do that with any level of boldness, it takes standing exactly where he did and being willing to do, if need be, exactly the things that he did, even if that were for us to one day mean we would be crucified also. It takes not being ashamed. Now in Acts chapters 4 and 5, we read of a group of people, they're called the apostles by us, disciples also known as. Particularly a couple of them stand out as the spokesmen and the speakers in the situations, and two of them happen to be Peter and John. So you've got impetuous Peter that would shoot off at the mouth and get involved in all types of stuff. You've got John, who I assumed is the beloved that is spoken of in the latter uh, chapter of the book of John, the Gospel of John, as being the beloved, so a very close companion, a friend of Jesus. And those two men have come in, Acts chapters 4 and 5, basically, and they have committed some miracles as well. They have done a number of miracles and came into a place and up into a point that we're reading about or about to read about, basically, where they're being called to question. How do you do such miracles as this? What authority are you using to do this? And the answers that they start to give, watch what happens. Pick up with me if you're in Acts chapter 4. Begin reading there in verse 8. Now he's being questioned not only by uh, what we would expect to be the the opposition of the truth and opposition of Christians, but also Annas, the high priest, others are there, Caiaphas has come. And we read in verse 8, beginning, And then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, Rulers of the people and of Israel, 
If we this day be judged by, uh, for a good deed that we have done to a helpless man, and by what means he has been made well, let it be known unto you and to all, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Put a marker right there. If that is all that he had answered, if that is all that Peter said, which he's admitting to and committing to, to selling them, if all he said was, look, this man was healed not by us but by Jesus, that got him into trouble right there. That was enough to get the naysayers to argue, to fight, eventually in the context, to try to imprison, to abuse, to beat, to threaten, to put to death. That statement right there, drawing a line in it, putting a period there, that was enough to get them in trouble. But the verse reads on to say that he was filled with the Holy Ghost, verse 8. Verse 9, he says, We have healed this helpless man, verse 10. Be it known unto you and all the people of Israel that the name by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, there's the phrase, who ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, H-I-M, him, was this man stands before you whole. And then they say, this is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor, New King James, neither, old, is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And now when they saw the, what's the next word? I'm going to find out if you're reading long or not. Loud. Boldness. Not cowardice. Not timidness. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived, they thought, they imagined that they were uneducated and untrained men. And they marveled, they were amazed. And they realized that they had, quote, verse 13, the latter phrase, been with Jesus. There are three verses in the context of chapter 4, one of them being right here in verse 13, yet another one coming up, really for me, I've turned the page, you may not, but you turn the page, you find another phrase coming up also in verse 29, another phrase coming up in verse 31. Three times it is reported of these men, and I think this is not exclusively Peter and John, it's inclusively of them, but it is said of them that they would do some things because of their boldness, because they took a stand. And in the immediate context of this first one here listed in verse 13, it says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they again perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. Basically, in our terms, they looked at these men and said, look, these, these boys here, they ain't never been to preaching school. They've never been to college. They, they probably didn't get past the second grade. At most, the third. 
I like the words of Brother Michael Shepherd. What's he say, Austin? I like it. He said, I'd rather hear a third grade preacher than a man with every letter of the alphabet behind his name. You don't know Michael Shepherd. I just made a fool of myself. These men were bold. But their boldness did not come out of the source to which they were being attributed. You know, they basically said, look, they're just bold because they're dumb. They're not smart enough to keep their mouth shut. They're not smart enough to know that you don't stand in our face and say that this miracle was done by Jesus. And you don't point a finger in our face and say, he, you the ones that crucified him, although it was absolutely true. Again, we're not talking about just a group of names. We're talking about Annas. We're talking about Caiaphas, the high priests. We're talking about men who were up in the top of the religious echelon in and around Jerusalem. And Peter and John point in their faces, proverbially at least, and say, you put this man to death. You intended on him being done away with. You intended on him being a nobody as you assumed he was. But here's what God did with that. God took the stone that you rejected, this is prophecy by the way, and he made it the chief cornerstone. He made it the most important part of this building. And he's established all of his truth upon him. It's what God did. And they said, you ain't got enough sense not to say that. When they said there is neither salvation found in any others, no name under heaven by which you will be saved, these men would have popped their suspenders and thought, wait, wait a minute. We are the pathway to religion. We are the key to getting in God. You've got to go our way. You've got to follow after our dictates. And you exclusify Jesus who was nothing but a mere man that we put to death. But boldness made them say that. Boldness made them stand up. We're going to look at each of those three phrases this afternoon. And the first one I want you to notice, I'll tie some principles to these. Brother uh, Dan Winkler would call these take-home points. So this is what you write down. The first principle right here, I would say, is this. You need to keep company with the Son of God. You see, they weren't bold because they were ignorant. They were bold because in their sense, and from my perspective, were geniuses. They had spent time, last phrase of verse 13, they had been with Jesus. And that's not just in His presence. That's not just standing nearby. The idea there in the literal language really comes all the way back to basically say they had become a part of Jesus and He in them. Could that be accused of me? The way that I live my life, being honest about it, do people, my neighbors, do they look across the fence to me and, and see the way that I act and react to situations, see the things that I do and don't do and, and such, and line those ideas up and their conclusion drawn about us is he must have been with Jesus. Is that the perception the world has of us? That's where their boldness lied. 
If they had kept themselves separated from Jesus, such as, again, the men up the page had. They had been given as much information, I assume, about Jesus the Christ, about the Messiah, about the master of this world, as anyone. They had been a part of the dial. They had stood like Pilate. Now, Pilate asked the question, but I think it was a question in the back of their minds as well. As recorded in John chapter 8, what is truth? What in the world is truth? In John's account, at least, this question was answered when he said, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. When John's account in chapter 1 said, In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. Drop down the page, and that word was also the light and the life of men. Go across the page, second column of my old Bible, which I hope I wish I was holding this morning. I went to this newfangled thing, and I can't find nothing. John 1 and verse 14, And the word, W-R-D, was made flesh, and dwelt among him. We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What does all that come to say? Jesus is the word, therefore Jesus is the truth. And these men stood with boldness because they stood on the side and kept company with truth. Many times, if it comes to a subject, this could be anything in life, if it comes to a subject where you tend to lose confidence, you tend to stutter or stammer around a bit, sometimes that comes because you're not sure of yourself. You're not sure what you're about to say or what you're about to do. And people see that. Keep company with the Son of God. Keep up the reading, though. I'm not a good reader. I have dyslexia. Oh, wait a minute. I have dyslexia. Sometimes I say I'm dyslexic. My wife is in social work. She corrects me real quick. I have dyslexia. So you need to read with me. But look at look what happens. Verse 14, and seeing that the men had been seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say any, nothing against them. But they, when they commanded them to go aside to the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What do we do with these men? For indeed a notable miracle has been done and is evident to all that dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no farther among the people, verse 17, severely threaten them. That's an understatement. That from now on that they speak, no, speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter and John answered, whether it be right in the sight of God, to, uh, of God to listen to you more than of God, you be the judge. For we, verse 20, highlight it, for we cannot help but to speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding them no way, punishing, uh, let them go, finding no way of punishing them, but because of the, the people had glorified God for what had been done. Verse 22. For the man, it says he was over 40 years, and on whom the miracle of the hill was performed, verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companies and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said. And when they heard that, 
They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord God, please forgive us for our cowardice, for we will no longer speak in thy name. You read? That ain't what it said. So when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord. Said, Lord, next phrase, you are God, whom the heavens and earth and the seas and all that are them basically are created. Verse 25, by whom the mouth of your servant David said, Why is it the nations rage? Psalm 2 and verse 1. And the people plot against vain things. And the kings on the earth took their stand, and the rulers gathered together, and against the Lord and against the Christ. Verse 27, And truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both by Herod and by Pontius Pilate, and with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, and gathered together to do whatever your hand or your purpose determined to do, uh, determined before to be done. Now the Lord looked to their look to their threats and grant your servants that they with all, what's the next word? Boldness may speak your word. We went down from the first instance to the second. What's the conclusion? Number one, their boldness was seen and evident, and I would even add possible, because, as I just stated a moment ago, because they had kept company with the Son of God. But in the context from verse 14 forward up until the climax of that in verse number 29, there's a secondary process in case right here, and it is the fact that they likewise maintain confidence in God the Father. So they have company with the Son, but confidence in the Father. Notice the wording here. I didn't emphasize enough, but I will. If you go back for an example, and you look here, the latter part of verse 24. So when they heard that, they raised their voice with one accord and said, Lord God, you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in him. What did their boldness do? Their confidence said, He, God, is creator. Is my C the right direction for y'all? He's the creator. That matters. Friends, you and I live in a society where so many people, whether or not it is uh, uh, perceived as being ignorance or whether it's not just flat-out denial of the facts in life, in, in, in eternity, stand in denial of the fact that God made everything we see. If the Bible opened and closed on that first verse we quoted earlier this morning, the fact that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, we would have all the information we know to desire to worship Him. Is that right? We have so much more. Chapter 1, verse 2, and forward through the end of the, the revelation, we have so much more. 
But the God that created the heavens and the earth and all that are in them, including that which he said here, the heavens, the earth, the seas, and all that are in them, that within itself makes God praiseworthy. And it sets him as creator. I've had people before, they said, Jim, do you believe at all in evolution? Not for a skinny minute. Well, what about this theory, and they call it, theistic evolution. You know what that is? The short version is they say, well, <laughs> look, things have evolved over time, and, and there go all these fanciful doctrines about it. You, you still came out of a primordial ooze, by the way, and finally you made it to a monkey in a tree and, and all this. But God, you know, God started that. I'll give you that. You believe that? No. Why not? Are you as these men? Are you uneducated, unlearned? No, sir, no, ma'am. I've just learned what God wanted me to know instead of things that didn't matter. I know biologists. I know geologists. I know all the ologists in the world. I know all the information they have, and I love it, and I appreciate it. But again, I will stand a hundred times over on the foundation that God has established and put all that aside. You can take every book in your libraries at home, the local library, you can take the Library of Alexandria, you can take all that, burn every one of them to the ground. And if you've got this standing in your heart, you've got enough to step into eternity faithful with the very God of heaven and knowing that the reason why is because He did. And that's what they say. If you can't stand anywhere else, and I, I know you can, okay? I mean, as John uh, Shannon Sr. said, let me, let me breathe. Say, I love all this preaching. I'll quote you in a minute. If I can't get to a place of knowing that God created this and all of this, I won't be bold. But we read across something else. Not only there in chapter 4, we read there in verse 24 that he was the creator of all things. You look on a little bit farther, we read this. He likewise is the conqueror of all things. Well, he said, reread it. Verse 25, the quotation in the middle. Why did the, did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? And the kings of the earth took a stand and the rulers gathered together and against the Lord and against His Christ. Why did they do that? Basically in the next verse, why did they stand against us? Well, because they did them. Why did they stand against them? Because they're going to us. They're going to come at us. Christians are to become, uh, in some places, the doormats of society. We're the stepping stones to the top, but it's on our backs they try to go. We ought to be the shoulders upon which they stand. But he's the conqueror of all things. It doesn't matter if it's these men listed again. You can go back to Annas, to Caiaphas, to Alexandra. You can go through these pages. We just made reference, or at least we read of the reference of the fact that a Pilate, Pontius Pilate, Herod had something to do with this. You know, I don't think that Pontius Pilate nor Herod were trying to accomplish what they did. You have been thankful for Pilate? They're bad characters. Accidentally do good things for us. He's the conqueror of all things. Nothing 
nothing, nothing, nothing will put him down. Christians rise and fall every day, but it's on their own feet, not his. He's a conqueror of all things. Look at the next phrase. Going on there, verse 27, to pick up and reread again. Truly against your holy servant Jesus, who you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and people of Israel that were gathered together to do whatever, watch this phrase, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. God is the creator, brings boldness knowing that. God is a, is a conqueror, brings boldness knowing that. God in this case is the controller, brings tremendous boldness to know that. Basically the scripture says here, look, God, God placed Herod. He placed Pilate. He put these men into place. Why? To accomplish his goal. To do what, quote, he wanted to do. We got to remember that. Yes, we're, we're, we're talking today. We're reminding ourselves to be bold. But at the end of the day, if none of us stand in that place, if we all turn into cowards, I, I referred to a moment ago, if we all ran like scared rabbits and stood and denied our faith and trust in God to save our own necks, if we did that, God would still stand. And He would still be in control of everything. Now how comforting is that? It's extremely comfortable. Comforting. Because I want you to think in your mind. I don't know you. My name's Jim Merle. I'm from Ironathan Church of Christ. Represent the church there. That's all you know. I don't know much more about you. I know this. Whatever issue you have in life, anytime, place, God is in control. If you've ever struggled, if you've ever hurt, if you've ever tried to throw in the towel, if you've ever had a meltdown, if you ever in your life question God on the things that He has done and had your heart torn out by someone who you believed was honest and true and faithful and turns out they're not at all what you thought, He's still in control. If you've lost things in life through death, Disease, divorce, discouragement, downtroddenness. He's still in control. Matter of fact, other scriptures reveal to us He's there in every time and in every place. And so when this statement is made here that we've been reading across several times already, when the statement is, is brought forth the fact that He has all these groups who stand against Him, all of our fears, 
all of our discouragement, all that stands against, it makes no difference because it said against the Lord and against His Christ, for truly against your holy servant who was anointed Herod and Pontius Pilate and with the Gentiles, the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to do. God's purpose is still being fulfilled no matter whether I see it nor you or anybody else. And it matters. Next instance. Not only is it the case that they maintain company with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that they likewise had confidence in God the Father Himself, but likewise, they found a level of courage in even the Spirit of God. Now, I mentioned this morning, uh, we do a lot of teaching on God the Father, Quite a bit of teaching on God the Son, certainly the Word should. Spirit sometimes gets left out. And I'm not here to unlock and unveil every intricacy of the Holy Spirit and the way it should or should not work in our lives or anything of that sort. Matter of fact, y'all got a wonderful lesson on the live stream. Brother Dan Winkler, I think, right here, did something like that. Man, it's outstanding. If y'all had asked me to speak on that, I'd have stole his whole sermon and showed up, not been ashamed at all. You'd already had the notes. But this right here tells us something. Verse 29 said, And the Lord, uh, whatever you determine to do, verse 28, Now the Lord look on their threats and grant your servants boldness that they may speak your word. Why did they want boldness? That's it. So that they may speak your word. Number one, who knows how to do an E in sign language? All right, I'll go with that because I was going to do like this. That's, that's it? Okay. Number one, they expressed God's word. They were willing to do that. Their desire of God was not God take us out of the situation, not God give us courage if the sword should come to our necks, which they often had, but God give us the courage to express your word. That's what matters. That's why I think this whole series is outstanding. Matter of fact, if you want to, uh, I can't do it this year, it's already planned, but if you want to attend our summer series sometime next year, we'll allow to have the same lessons. We need them too. We need the Bible. We've got to get back to basics. We need boldness. And the boldness that it takes to express God's Word, I know, is something else. We would say it's for real. You know, Barry will admit this, Austin will admit this. Luke is about to admit this. He don't agree quite yet. Don't ever do that. Others, too. It is so easy to stand up and preach in the middle of the Lord's church on a Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock and to talk all the, I'm going to use my term, talk all the smack you want. Will you do it on the street corner? Will you do it down at the courthouse? Will you do it in the face of kings? Governors? These men said, grant us the boldness that we may express your word. Number next, keep up the reading. That may, may speak your word, 
verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal with signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Number two, not only did they want boldness to express his word, they wanted boldness to extend his hand. Now don't be afraid of this. We understand and know that when we read Scripture, particularly the New Testament, that we encounter times when Jesus, mainly, also when His disciples, apostles, would come and do things like heal men. You know, the litany of things they were able to do through the power of God, no doubt were real. Healing blind men, causing men to hear, uh, taking away the leprous, uh, from their disease and their, their infirmament, uh, raising the dead, if that wasn't impressive enough, feeding the 5,000. You, you go on and on and on, all the things they were able to do. Extending the hand through the works they did. And you and I stand here, 2024, and we've got to admit, we do not have that type of miraculous power, do we? Okay? We don't. Somebody says, well, you, you can't heal nobody. No, I can't. You couldn't cause anybody that's lame to walk. No. You certainly are not going to raise a dead man. No. I can't take away a, a sore throat from myself today. By the way, that wasn't a button I was eating. That was a real cough drop because it's gone. You know the joke. But I'm going to tell you something. Be careful. Don't ever underestimate yourself when the Word of God is in your hand to perform the most supernatural, extra-natural, is that a real word? I made that one up. Miraculous, in a sense, thing that has ever been seen in life. And that is to convert a soul. I'd rather every dead man stay dead, every lame man not walk, every blind man never see and have access through the Word of God and the confidence I have in it and the ability we're given to read and study it ourselves that we can both express it and then extend it. You say, well, I, I just took notes. Jim Merle said we can perform miracles. Not quite. Jim Merle said the greatest thing he's ever seen in his life is a transformation of a man. I've seen people come out of the ditches and walk right into the church house and serve God faithfully for the rest of their lives and die that way. I've seen it. You know, our problem is we, we want to extend God's hand as far as we want to extend our own. Well, let's be honest. We want to go to the people just like we are. We want to go to our next door neighbor who's quote unquote unchurched, who's biblically ignorant, and we want to go and sit down with them because we've been friends for 25 years already. And we finally were convinced because they had a seminar, Austin Fowler or a, what in the world? Rob uh, Whitaker told us we ought to, and they proved it to us in the Bible. So I'm going to sit down my neighbor, and I'm going to teach him. Amen, thank you. Go do that for the alcoholic, the homosexual. Go do that for the pedophile. 
Because they need it too. And I'll tell you what, if you were to do that for one of those and help and assist them, extend God's hand, it'll change your life. It's a big deal in God's eyes on, on flat ground at the cross when a man who lived a good moral life finally comes to Christ. That's wonderful. But it doesn't impress us enough. But the others I named, I promise you, will. Extend God's hand. Number three, they had confidence here and that not only called for them to exalt God's word, but to extend his hand. Here's another one we haven't read through as of yet. Going on, verse 29, I'll back up and come to it. And now the Lord looked on their threats. Grant your servant boldness that we may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal with signs and wonders through the name of Jesus, our holy, your servant. I can't read through the name of your holy servant Jesus. I'm using the New King James today and a brand new copy of the Bible, so forgive me. What do they want to do? They want to exalt the Savior. Express His word, extend His hand, and then exalt Him. If a life were to be changed, say that you did have that one-on-one -on -one personal, quote, Bible study with a person, and you did get to them with the gospel, and they did, they were convinced, convicted, and converted by it, and they were obedient to it. Who do you blame for that? Who gets the credit? Say, well, I'd have to point a finger at Rob Whitaker, man. He's the one that taught me into doing it. Does he want credit? I've known him for a long time. No. So, well, Barry preached a sermon on it too, and, and he, he won't, you won't credit. You know, a lot of preachers want to take credit for getting them in the church, but they won't take a lick of credit when they leave. And Christians alike. You have to exalt the name of Jesus, you have to give him the glory and make him known. Last and finally and quickly, I can see the clock. You don't have to look. I'll admit we're over. All right. Did you have an out time on the whiteboard? Is there a get out time out there? He's scared to death. Bold, baby. <laughs> I like the way he puts that. Y'all like it too. Oh, look at this. <laughs> We notice here, we already have at least, thankfully we've gotten through part of this. Maintain confidence in God the Father, or the Son. What am I doing? Keep company with God the Son. Maintain confidence in God the Father. But look at this one. Find courage with God the Spirit. Read verse 29. We've already read across it, but we're using it for a different purpose, I know. The Lord look on your servants. Grant your servants that we may preach or speak your word. Stretching out your hand to heal with signs and wonders and through the name of Jesus. Watch this, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were, quote, look at it, filled, F-I-L-L-E-D. My mama would be proud. I'm a terrible speller. 
pleru. You know what that means? Overflowing. That's, that's when you fill that coffee cup up just a bit much because you got distracted. Overflowing. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with, what's the next word? Boldness. Jesus gave them access to boldness. God gave them access to boldness. The Spirit gives them access to boldness. And it happens when they connect through Him. You say, now wait a minute. Are you saying that we're all filled with the Holy Spirit? And we say, look, again, I'm not in that argument. That's, that's Dan Winkler. You can, is that your sermon for next Sunday? You'll just pick up? No, no, probably not. Okay. One of the elders want to get up and do it this evening? Uh, but I'll tell you, how do we connect with the Spirit through His Word? Got to be a student of it. Got to be a student of this Word. You can do as James said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men, watch this liberally, and upbraideth not. Meaning God doesn't look at you and say, you need more wisdom, are you kidding me? I give you. Look what happens. Notice the result, verse 32. And the multitude of those who believed were of one heart, one soul. Neither did anyone say that of any of the things he possessed was, was his own, but I had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness, verse 33, to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus with great grace was upon them. What's that last word? All. You want to say it, Austin? You can't get any aller than all. Where'd I get that? You want to? Billy Bland. Can't get any older than all. The boldness they had became contagious and the people around them got infected. That's what this congregation needs. That's what Ironiton needs. That's what uh, Oak White Quiet Oak needs. That's what huh? East Ridge needs. That's what Calhoun needs. That's what Somerville needs. That's what Lafayette needs. We need to be bold. And we need it to spread and we want everybody in here to catch it. And it will. You ever seen those people that if something comes up and there's a squirmish or an argument, if, if they're by themselves, what do they do? What if they got a group with them? They get mighty brave. Friends, boldness is not being presumptuous. It's not being rude. It's taking a stand for what you know is the established truth of God's Word. Is it easy no. Is it excellent? Yes. Does it take courage? Yes. Is it commanded? Yes. 
you need boldness, God will supply. I appreciate your time to be here this evening. I appreciate the last seven minutes of your time that I took. And I guess if you're giving up, I will too. But I'm not leaving this building until telling you why I really came. I didn't come here because I thought the topics were excellent. That is true. I didn't come here for the meatloaf. I came here because I, I fully believe that everywhere I go, upon every stone I step, I'm given an opportunity by the providence of God to stand before someone who has never obeyed the gospel. I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know your background. I don't know your rearing. I don't know your life. I don't know your trials, your troubles. I don't know your triumphs. But I trust God that someone in this room this afternoon is here because their heart is broken. And because they understand that the only safe haven in life, the only hope we talked about earlier that they have is in Jesus. And I came here, I drove two and a half hours to stay away from my family, which I, 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 I'll be honest, I hate doing. I can't stand it. To watch my seven-year-old, she's, she's glued to my leg. She cried her eyes out when I left. She cried on the phone last night. I tried to FaceTime. I couldn't even keep my composure. I didn't do that to come here to speak on those three topics. I did that because I believe there's a soul to be saved. If not in these four walls, someone you're in connection with, and I pray to God you'll have boldness, and you go to them. And don't go tomorrow. Go today. Leave this building. Text somebody. Call somebody. Go to somebody's house and knock on their door. There's leftovers back here. Go grab a piece of cake or a brownie and carry it to somebody. And say, look, we had a fellowship meal. You weren't there, but I want you to be there. Let me tell you something about the Lord I serve. I came here because I believe in this room there's someone like I am so many times. You've been a Christian for X number of years, days or decades. And you know as well as I do that you are not standing bold for the cause of Christ. And I'm honest enough to tell you, you're not only hurting yourself, you're hurting everybody in this room when you don't do that. And when I don't do that. And we're going to gather with an invitation song, I suppose, in a moment. And we're going to encourage you not to get right with us, but to get right in the sight of God. And you go to God in prayer and you beg His forgiveness and you tell Him to give you the strength and the boldness to serve Him with every ounce and fiber of your being. We encourage you as we stand and as we sing.